Good afternoon. It's April 29th, 2012, and this is CNI Conversations. Uh, I'm Cliff Lynch, the director of CNI. It's been a while since we've had an opportunity to do one of these, and there are a lot of things to talk about. Um, I'm going to just pick and choose a few highlights, and a number of these will be things that I've in fact mentioned through the uh, CNI announce messages. I'm not at this point going to attempt to do a extended post-mortem on the uh, CNI spring meeting uh, at the, that was held in Baltimore at the beginning of April, other than to mention that the videos are starting to go up, the uh, presentation materials are up, and uh, there were some fabulous sessions which I think uh, you will enjoy the video from if you've not had an, if you didn't have an opportunity to see them in person. Um, I will also mention that uh, while um, James Hilton did come and talk about the um, DPN, the uh, Digital Preservation Network uh, project, which he has been uh, trying to uh, move along, we decided not to take video of that because it was such a, it's such a fast evolving project and I felt that anything that um, he said at that point would probably uh, date rather rapidly. However, I have got an agreement with uh, James that we are going to do a, a conversation together in a couple of weeks for this series. Um, uh, since um, his uh, his public presentation at CNI, which I think was the first kind of public rollout of the work, um, he's got a number of other um, conversations with important groups scheduled, and I think that um, uh, sometime um, towards the middle or end of May, uh, things will be at a state that we can have a very good discussion about it, um, and I look forward to doing that and sharing that discussion with you. Moving on from the CNI spring meeting, um, I think the next thing I'd like to say a few things about is the um, recent announcement of the Obama administration big data program. Uh, many of you probably saw press coverage of this in places like the New York Times. Uh, I sent out links to the video stream and the documents associated with the announcement on CNI Announce, and I've since found out that in fact the video was archived and is avail still available to be viewed if you're interested. Um, I'd particularly recommend in the video um, the uh, second panel, which included a number of um, academic representatives from data-intensive fields, as well as one of the co-authors of the McKinsey Consulting Report that was done in 2011 on big data. This was moderated by Steve Lohr of the New York Times and really turned out to be a very good, wide-ranging kind of discussion of some of the impact and implications of large-scale data analysis 
and data capture in various areas. It's important to note that um, while science in the form of um, organizations like the National Science Foundation and the National Institutes of Health was certainly prominently represented in the announcement uh, from the administration and the event, and in fact used the event as an opportunity to announce a sizable new grant program um, being uh, um, solicited jointly by the NIH and the NSF, that in fact the, um, the framing of the uh, big data initiative goes um, a lot wider than just science. You'll see, for example, that um, ARPA and the Department of Defense more broadly uh, is prominently represented. Certainly, there are many applications in intelligence and related areas. There are important applications in healthcare, um, and uh, we're, I think, going to see lots and lots of applications in different areas of business and commerce emerging as well, and you do see that represented um, in the administration announcements. Uh, you should also recognize, of course, that the announcements were anything but comprehensive um, in terms of um, big data efforts. So, for example, you had the, um, uh, the uh, USGS um, represented, but you did not have uh, organizations like, um, say, NOAA, um, who uh, certainly collect huge amounts of data. It's also a little bit too tricky to interpret some of the financial claims and parameters here. It's, it's um, evident that the administration is making a significant investment in this area, but um, it also seems clear that some of these investments at some of these agencies would be made anyway independent of an attempt to kind of um, slot them in and present them as part of a larger um, uh, big data initiative. Um, and um, uh, I, I think that uh, we'll see um, we'll, we'll see probably other um, agency announcements showing up over the next months um, that will also attempt to tie themselves into this um, big data initiative. So that's a few words on that. Um, uh, other things that happened over the last um, uh, six weeks or so, we had the um, National Academies eJournal Summit. They've been doing these for about a decade, bringing together publishers, editors of um, important scientific journals, um, some folks out of the uh, library and IT uh, communities, um, some people interested in scientific communication broadly. And, you know, if you kind of look back over the themes of these meetings over the years, you'll find they've been a, a good index of a lot of these sort of big structural issues around electronic journals um, and the migration of scientific journals to electronic form. So um, certainly we've seen issues like um, preservation, uh, issues about um, access control and site licensing and how those are structured, issues about integrity and the relation of data and um, uh, 
underlying evidence to the um, the public scientific record. All of those have shown up as, as sort of central themes for one and another of these over the uh, past decade or so. Um, this one didn't have such a clear theme, but one of the, the um, threads that I found particularly interesting um, and uh, I just highlight was the rise of these um, very very large scale journals, um, which is happening fast and is happening at a scale that's perhaps broader than um, some of us certainly uh, myself um, recognized. Uh, take a look um, at the growth rates around um, PLOS One, for example, um, and you start seeing that. Uh, um, we're actually um, finding some of these uh, some of these mega journals now are um, starting to concentrate uh, measurable percentages of the net um, scientific uh, journal publication out, out, um, output. Uh, that's kind of a striking and new phenomenon, and um, it's one that probably bears some thinking about. In the area of scholarly identity management, author IDs, and related matters, there's been a ton of activity. In March, the Knowledge Exchange, which is a joint project of JISC in the UK, SURF in the Netherlands, um, the Danish um, Electronic Library, and uh, the DFG in Germany, uh, held a workshop in London on um, scholarly uh, author identity management, um, where they looked very specifically at author ID schemes. And I think this meeting was particularly helpful in trying to sort out, um, on the one hand, a set of efforts that kind of grew out of um, National Library's commitments to um, national authority files and then the merger uh, or interlinking of those files through the OCLC-VF um, program and the um, national author ID systems that started growing out of that work on one side and then a series of um, standardization efforts, um, notably the um, ORCID author ID program and the um, uh, very complicated um, uh, international standard um, name identifier effort which seems to be getting off the ground um, and um, is uh, significant but difficult to fully position in the landscape. Uh, there's a report of that meeting that is out as of a week or so ago and you can find that on CNI Announce. Uh, immediately following the CNI Spring Meeting, um, we hosted a workshop on the management of scholarly identity, which really went a good deal broader than um, the rather tightly focused meeting that the Knowledge Exchange did, and um, in particular tried to look um, uh, at interplays with um, biography and uh, bibliography. The report of that meeting is now under development and I hope to have it out in the next couple of weeks. Um, I think you'll find some interesting material in there. Um, there are more discussions planned. ORCID is having a um, meeting in mid-bay in um, 
uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, and there's an invitational um, meeting that uh, Harvard is putting on the day before about um, uh, characterizing different kinds of authorial contributions, which is another issue that's emerged um, uh, in this context. So um, I'll report further on those, and we will announce the um, the availability of the report out of the uh, workshop um, that we hosted uh, in Baltimore as soon as it's ready. A couple of other things I want to mention. There is a very nice report that came out of the GISC um, giving a sort of a very high-level view of the potential benefits and barriers to text mining. Um, this is showing up as a increasingly um, important issue as we develop better technologies for this and recognize better the um, potential for um, using this as a new uh, method of knowledge discovery, but also as we run into a tangle of issues about um, how this interacts with license agreements, um, uh, which we've certainly seen um, uh, show up in debates about the extent to which large-scale journal site licenses, as they're generally negotiated by universities, in fact, do or don't accommodate um, various kinds of text mining strategies. Uh, we see it also in um, these conversations that are emerging in the legal community and um, certainly turned up at the um, Orphan Works Symposium that the Berkeley Center for Law and Technology put on a couple of weeks ago, uh, where they speak of non-consumptive use in uh, uh, computational use of text corpora and uh, the extent to which that may or may not be a new form of um, fair use protected uh, um, uh, application of um, of technology to um, to uh, various kinds of textual corpora. Uh, the JISC report, though, is really good, I think, because it is um, it is written in a kind of a high level fashion and really um, uh, sort of lays out, um, if you will, the public policy stakes to um, eliminating uh, barriers to this in terms of knowledge discovery and indeed economic competitiveness. Uh, the report, of course, emerges in the UK as part of a broader context, uh, the Hargreaves report on um, intellectual property law and how that um, is uh, supporting or interfering with national competitiveness, economic development, um, uh, scientific um, uh, progress and, and other matters, and um, uh, I think the JISC report really fits into that dialogue in the UK, but we can take a lot from it um, uh, here in the States as well. Um, I want to mention one other report, actually it's a series of reports, and this is this um, monumental study that OCLC has just completed about the sort of state-of-the-art in um, social metadata. Now, um, the the thing that really I find so interesting 
interesting and so important about this is the aspect of it that structures and records a conversation between a memory organization like a library, an archive, or a museum on one side and the public on the other um, uh, through a set of interactions around a collection that can be used to enrich the collection in various ways ranging from the sort of trivial case of tagging all the way up through situations where you see um, uh, individuals who find an image that it, some institutions put up and identify the people in the image, the place, the time, the provenance, and the, the story that's captured in the image, all of which may have been completely unknown. And in fact, um, those people out there in the public may even be able to provide supplementary material, perhaps additional photos, diaries, um, other kinds of things to further enrich this. Um, there's been a lot of experimentation around this. I think we're still, you know, kind of collectively struggling with the longer term reintegration and stewardship of the knowledge that can be elicited this way um, as part of a collection and I think there are some um, intriguing um, uh, additional questions. Um, uh, you know, if you look at what OCLC's done, it's been um, very much structured around the activities of individual memory organizations, but in fact um, you know, we know that at some level the collections in those um, memory organizations are um, the result of a lot of um, uh, happenstance and historical um, uh, factors that don't necessarily mean that there are central and coherent um, uh, and comprehensive collections in many areas. So um, we're going to have to, I think, consider um, the landscape that OCLC has so beautifully documented in this work and um, how how we scale this up um, beyond individual institutions to a sort of a cross-institutional or pan-institutional activity. Um, but I think there's a lot to uh, learn and to think about from those reports. The last thing that I want to comment on today is um, the recent um, SAGE Bioinformatics Commons um, meeting. Uh, we've talked about these in the past. This was, I believe, their third annual meeting, and um, there is um, uh, video and presentation material up on the uh, SAGE Bioinformatics website, um, not to be confused, by the way, with SAGE Publishing, uh, which is a completely different organization that does um, entirely different things, um, no relation. This is the effort that is led by uh, Dr. Stephen Friend um, uh, and his colleagues and is focused on um, opening up much more bio um, informatics kind of data ranging from uh, genetic data to electronic health records to clinical trial data, making this much more broadly available for pooling, sharing, and reuse by um, uh, researchers around the globe. 
um, and um, they're particularly interested in ideas around um, public-private partnerships to pool and open up and reuse data. Uh, they've been operating on both a sort of a technical level where they've been building um, platforms for disease models and also on a policy and legal level where they've tried to structure model agreements, um, uh, pooling um, practices, um, use licenses, consent agreements, and things like that. Um, and the progress they've made in a short time is um, absolutely astounding to me. One of the um, real potential game changers was a um, project that John Wilbanks, who some of you may know from his uh, work with Science Commons, has been leading, where basically he is trying to set up a sort of a portable general informed consent structure um, and uh, if this really gains traction, um, he may actually be creating something that is a sort of a new kind of memory organization. It's a pool of data about human genetic and medical conditions at, a, at an aggregated um, level, but contributed by individuals and available for reuse under certain anonymization conditions. Um, I think that this really is, as I say, a potential game changer and one that um, merits some very close tracking. And um, uh, I'll certainly be watching this very closely. Um, right now, um, I think we face enormous problems being able to um, uh, really integrate individual medical records and genomic data into the fabric of um, biomedical research in various ways. And um, uh, this may be one way to really genuinely change the landscape around that. So I, um, I commend that and a number of the other talks from the uh, bioinformatics um, conference uh, to, um, to you if you're interested in these kinds of things. I think that those are all of the things that I wanted to cover today. Um, uh, certainly there's more that's been happening and uh, I hope to get back to some of those over the next couple of weeks, but um, I hope I've at least alerted you to a few developments that uh, you'll find um, interesting and worthwhile to pursue. Thanks for joining us today.